the kids are going out for the children's sermon, I will invite you to turn with me to John chapter 17. We are continuing through John's gospel, and we are continuing through the high priestly prayer, looking this morning to verses 6 through 19. This is a prayer for truth. Last week, we we saw in the opening of the high priestly prayer a a focus on glory. This week, we will uh, see the focus on truth, and as we prepare to look to this text, I want to draw the attention of your ears and your hearts to a progression that we see in this text. As uh, the Lord Jesus prays for truth, I want you to listen for his description, his, his declaration of the name of God, the word of God, the truth of God. You see how how he, he builds those, those three truths together into one. I also want to draw your attention to a theme. A theme that you will hear throughout. It's the theme of keeping. As you listen for that theme, I want you to consider who is doing the keeping. Friends, this is the inerrant an infallible word of God. Lord Jesus prays here, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were. And you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me and they have received them. And have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I, have, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. This is the word of the Lord. Would you bow with me? Holy Father, we come to you now as as a group of, of needy children who need 
your abundance of grace, your abundance of mercy, your abundance of truth. And so we ask that you would pour out your spirit upon us, that you might anoint our ears to hear and receive this word of truth for your glory and for our safekeeping. Do this, we pray, in Christ's name. Amen. In the Lord of the Rings trilogy, second episode, two towers, there is a battle. There's a battle in the whole series. But there is a particular point in the two towers where Saruman's army of orcs are are encroaching upon Rohan. King Theoden is the uh, is the king of Rohan, and and he's having a conversation, so to speak, uh, with Aragorn. And Aragorn is trying to plead him to engage in this battle. There, Theoden says, "I will not risk open war." Aragorn, the the ever faithful ever-courageous warrior pleads with him, open war is upon you whether you would risk it or not. It's a poignant exchange, and it's one that can also be said of the Christian life. Because this Christian life is set very much in the context of battle. But do we recognize it? And if we do recognize it, how do we fight it? Some of us, this Christian life feels very much like battle. It feels very much like there is an army of orcs encroaching upon us. Others of us lulled to sleep by a stealthy enemy. And that stealth might just be the most sinister form of attack. Jesus, however, was not lulled to sleep. Jesus was not deceived thinking that this was to be a peacetime ministry. His prayer here, this portion that we read today, is very much a prayer for truth. But do not miss this. It is a battle prayer. This is a prayer for protection. Jesus is praying that we would be protected from the evil one. This is a spiritual warfare prayer. And so what a beautiful comfort it is to know that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is engaged in the battle for our hearts. And praise be to God. He is a victorious King. He's praying here. That we would be kept in truth. Now if you see that, if you look at your outline, you will see that phrase, kept in truth, throughout. But what I want you to see is that he is praying that we would be kept in truth as we are rooted in, sanctified in, and sent out in the truth of God. Now that, I want to point out something in verse 11. It will tee up much in this text and in the first point. There in verse 11, Jesus is, is praying, and he addresses God as holy 
Father. There's only time in, in John's gospel account when, when Jesus speaks to the Father using that phrase, Holy Father. We would do well to pay attention. Why, why that phrase and why here? Well, there's a deep thread of holiness throughout this prayer. We're going to continue to unpack that as we go. But Jesus is making a declaration, a twin declaration of God's absolute holiness. But as D.A. Carson points out, Jesus in addressing his father as holy father is making a statement of God's awesome transcendence combined with the beauty of his, of his familial intimacy. Awesome transcendence with the beauty of family. The intimacy of family. And so, to his and our Holy Father, Jesus prays that we would be rooted in truth. Now to be clear, Jesus is speaking to and praying over the disciples in John 17. This is in the upper room as he is preparing to go out to the cross. But verse 20, Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. That we would believe through the word, the teaching of the apostles. Jesus is praying for the disciples and he is praying for us. And so, as I speak of they in this sermon, I'm including we. So Jesus prays in the opening of this text that they and we are rooted in truth. And that they and we would remain rooted in truth. The foundation of that rooting, as our hearts need to see, is that Jesus is claiming them. Verse 6, Jesus opens by saying, Yours they were, and you gave them to me. Verse 11, All yours are mine, and mine are yours. Jesus is claiming his own, and he does so in the context of sovereign grace. We talked about this sovereign grace last week as we made very clear that Jesus was praying for those who had been given to him by the Father. We see it here in this portion of the prayers. Jesus says he prays not for the world out there, but for those who belong to him, for those who are his. Not the son of destruction, Judas who is fulfilling a sovereign role in this whole drama of redemption, but he's praying for his own, for his beloved, for those who, whom the Lord our God had claimed before the beginning of time. He says they belong to me. Now where I grew up, when we used the phrase, my people, it was, it was a term of endearment. He said, those are my people. And they were often messy. He claimed them as mine. And there was nothing better than for someone else to say that over me. That I was their people. Jesus here in this prayer is saying, mine. 
He's claiming us as my people. It's the promise that we spoke of in Ella's baptism when God said, I will be their God and they will be my people. But he says in this prayer, the evidence of, of how, how we know that we're his. In verse 8, he speaks of receiving and believing the word of truth. There's a connection, there's an echo to what John said in the very beginning of his gospel account. We read it early on, a long time ago, when we were in John chapter 1, verse 12. There in John 1, 12, we read to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, to believe and to receive. It's not merely to know about the word but it is to embrace it it's to be rooted in the word and that embracing and being rooted in we see here is played out in our belonging to jesus therefore let me let me connect some dots for you i asked you before we read the text to to listen out for for the mention of the name of god the word of god and the truth of god Jesus, in verse 4, says he manifested the name of God, the Father. To manifest the name of God, it's more than to speak it. It's to embody it. It's to reveal his glory, as we heard last week in the opening verses of this chapter. It's to reveal the whole of his person, his works and his word. And so, continuing in verse 6, Jesus says they kept God's word. In verse 17, and his word is truth. Is this prayer? It is both declaration and petition. Jesus is declaring something and he's petitioning that something would happen. That that he declares and that that he asks would happen is that we would be kept in truth be kept in the name of god in the word of god in the truth of god he's praying that the father would keep us in truth it's a work that the father does and yet we participate in that work and so how do we do that we we said last week that there are no imperative statements in this chapter and yet we are going to make application from the text you're going to hear us make application in each of these three points, and it's going to sound exactly the same. The application today is this. Cling to truth. Cling to truth. And yet, there are different nuanced ways in which we do cling to truth. And here in this first point, what I want us to see is that clinging to truth means clinging to our belonging, to our rooting in Jesus. We've got an enemy. Make no mistake about it. Jesus speaks of that enemy here, the evil one, and he seeks to erode truth. There are times which he is trying to erode truth in explosive ways, but more often he does it subtly. One of the quiet 
subtle ways that our enemy would erode truth is to try and erode our identity in Christ. Jesus has just declared that we belong to him, that we are in Christ. That we are no longer orphans, that we no longer have this burden of eking out an identity in this world, of trying to define some sense of worth based on our performance. That identity, our identity in Christ, it is truth. But the enemy wants us to place identity in something lesser, in something more temporal, in emotion, in affirmation, in approval. Where does social media take your emotions? If electronic affirmation is defining our identity, then our lives are going to feel like the worst form of roller coaster. So what do you do when your emotions are going on that ride? What do you do when your emotions are deceiving you, trying to place your identity in something else? It's the same thing that we do when the darkness of depression takes over us. When we are weighed down by anxiety, we cling to truth. When our emotions are gone, when our emotions are fleeting, we must cling to what is unchanging. And the unchanging truth is that we are in Christ, claimed by the King of kings. It is a truth that is unwavering, unshakable. And so cling not to what you feel in the moment, but to what is true. This is what Jesus is praying for. He's praying that truth over us. And if we're calling us to embrace it, We're rooted in this truth, but Jesus also prays that we would be sanctified in it. To be sanctified is to be made holy. Sanctification is a lifelong process of dying to self and growing to Christ. We work in that process daily. Of putting to death the old nature, putting to death the sinful desires of the flesh and growing in Christ. It is a work very much that we participate in, but it is also a work of God's free grace. Work that the Holy Spirit is doing in us. Is the Holy Spirit daily causing us to die to self and to grow to Christ. Now, again, this is a prayer for truth. One of those dots I want us to connect and to see is that truth is the means by which we are being sanctified. Verse 17 is a, is a powerful, punchy statement. If you're looking for scripture to memorize, John 17, 17 is a good place to start. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So let me point out something in that verse. You see, there in verse 17, truth is not an adjective. Truth is a noun. 
And here's why that matters. Let me, let me show you by illustration. If, for example, I said this pulpit is, is true wood, real wood, I would then be comparing this wood to something external, some other definition of what is true to then describe this wood. So if the text were saying this teaching is a true word, then it would be comparing this word to some other external measure of truth. That's not what it said. It said that the word of God is the absolute standard of truth. That all truth is measured against this standard, against this word. Because this word is the truth. We are sanctified in the truth. Which means that we are to be conformed to it. We're to be conformed to the word of God. Sanctification. Sanctification in truth is not merely a matter of changing our habits. It's not a matter of doing better things. It's a matter of being. And our being is dependent upon our feeding. I was with uh, a couple of friends this week, and we were talking about exercise one of those uh, friends was joking that though they did a lot of exercise, you couldn't tell it by looking at him. <laughs> and he made uh, a profound statement. He said, you can't out-exercise a bad diet. We can't outwork a bad diet in the Word of God. And a healthy diet is a balanced diet. Friends, we need a balanced diet in the Word of God. Guess what our application point is here? Cling to truth. But we cling to truth by feeding on the Word of God, feasting on the Word of God, the whole counsel of the Word of God, as Paul puts it in Acts chapter 20. The whole counsel means all of Scripture. It means the Old Testament in the New Testament. It means the Gospels. It means the law. It means the epistles. It means the prophets and the poets. Because in the whole scripture, we see the fullness of God. His holiness, His grace, and His eternal plan of redemption. When I'm discipling men, we spend time together very early on Tuesday mornings, and we talk about the disciplines of grace. One of the disciplines of grace is spending time in the Word of God. And I tell them that the plan that God has given you for your growth in Christ is to read the Bible. Now, many of us have, maybe, I hope, have a goal of reading the Bible. But oftentimes when we think about reading the Bible, we place some goal about, at some point in my life, I want to read the whole Bible. And yet when we do that, oftentimes we stop. But the goal, the plan for your growth in Christ is not to stop. I tell the men on Tuesday mornings, God's plan for you is to read the Bible. And then to read the Bible again. And to read the Bible again and again and again, and then you die. 
I'm not trying to be cold-hearted, but what I'm trying to say is we never get away from the Word. Because the Lord our God is shaping us throughout the entirety of our lives as we submit our lives, our hearts, to this Word, feasting on it. And in that way, we don't learn more facts. We're shaped by the Word of God. We're shaped by the Word as we give it access to the inner reaches of our hearts. Our hearts and our lives are conformed, therefore, to the Christ of the Word. And the Christ of the Word is keeping and guarding us by praying this battle prayer. There's power here. There's power in this prayer because Jesus through his prayers and through the work of the Holy Spirit, working through these prayers, is shaping, changing, making us different. Different from the world outside. And they will hate you for it. That is what Jesus is doing in us. So his guarding, it's not calling us to leave the world. Quite the opposite. This prayer is a sending prayer, much like we just prayed over staircase. Jesus is sending us out into the world. Verse 14 talks about shaping and the impact of that shaping, that we would be hated by the world. Some of us might hear about that battle plan and want to retreat, to get away from the evil that is out there by going away. Maybe to a nice island with just a bunch of Christians around it. Maybe by, by building a fortress wall around us. We can keep that evil away and be safe. Some of us want that. Some of us actually think that's what Jesus wants. We think that our goal in the Christian life, now that we are saved, is to go into hiding until glory but friends, this is a kingdom prayer. And the kingdom of God does not retreat. The kingdom of God advances. King Jesus is praying in verse 11, explicitly saying that we are to be in the world. Verse 18, he prays. He is sending us out into the world. Now, not going out into the world thinking to ourselves, they hate us, so I'm going to go out in hatred and pick fights. That actually would be contrary to Jesus' word. But it does mean that as we go out into the world, we remain steadfast in truth. Not retreating, but remaining in the world, influencing the world as the seed of the kingdom, revealing the glory of God in Christ Jesus. Talked about that, revealing His glory last week. We don't reveal His glory by declaring some truth. We, or, or, or by, by, uh, we reveal His glory by declaring what is already true. That's what I'm trying to say. Verse 6, Jesus said that he had manifested the name of God and in doing so had revealed his glory. That is our call in the world. That's our call in this Christian life. To manifest the name of God, to embody the name of God by embracing, being shaped by, and speaking 
the truth of God in love to live for Christ in the very spheres of life where the Lord has planted us. Whether those spheres be our family, whether it be the workplace, whether it be the ball field, or whether it be the arts, as we've just celebrated with tapestry, wherever the Lord has you, He has you to be His seed of the kingdom. Living in truth, revealing truth, speaking truth. And so once again, as we're sent out, we're called to cling to truth. Now, the outworking of that here is that we are not to go alone. Jesus sent out the disciples. At times he sent the 12, at times he sent the 72, but every time he sent out, he sent them out two by two. Pairs, brothers and sisters in arms, going out with the gospel. It's the outworking of the unity that we read about in verse 11. We're going to speak more about unity next week in the conclusion of this chapter. But here, our celebrating and living in light of unity is clinging to truth by clinging to the body of Christ. Because when we're alone, we're ripe for the picking. I talked with a friend this week who, who talked about some wilderness wandering years. This person said that in those wilderness years, they, they still had some measure of faith, but their grasp on truth had wavered. Their grasp on truth wavered because at the time in those years, they didn't have someone speaking the truth of God into their lives, or, or more appropriate, they weren't listening. And someone was speaking. The danger we've all got to face. On our own, we allow the world to shape our desires. Our fleshly desires begin then to define in our own minds the truth of God. The Word of God, however, is calling us to cling to truth by clinging to the church. This covenant community. We were not saved to be lone rangers in this world. We're saved into an army. The army of Christ. So live in that army. Clinging to the body of Christ. This is God's plan for your life. For your clinging to truth. This is Jesus' prayer. This prayer to the Father and how we are to apply it, to cling to truth, the truth personified in, in Christ into our identity in Him, to be shaped by Him, to be strengthened by His bride. That's what we're called to do with this prayer, but ultimately the efficacy of this prayer rests not on us and our obedience, the efficacy of this prayer rests on Jesus. I want to close by drawing a connection to a prayer that you hear and receive each and every week. The benediction. The benediction is not a blessing that is offered simply by Michael or myself. It is the word of God. And oftentimes the benediction that we pronounce comes from Numbers chapter 6 verses 24 through 26. 
It is the blessing that, that God gave Aaron in his role as the high priest to speak over the people of God, the nation of Israel. Now, in that prayer of blessing, Aaron is not asking the Lord to do something. He's proclaiming what the Lord has already done and is doing. That prayer of declaration is this. The Lord bless you and keep you. Hear it. That is what Jesus, our great high priest, has been praying here. The blessing is the blessing of his presence, but the keeping is his keeping of those who belong to him. It is his declaration, and that is the content of the high priestly prayer. That God would keep you. And the comfort that we draw, the greatest comfort, is that it has already been answered. Jesus, the great high priest, points to how it has been answered in the conclusion of the text I read for you earlier. Verse 19. And for their sake, our sake, I, Jesus, consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. To be consecrated is to be made holy. Jesus is already holy. So why would he pray this? What does it mean for Jesus to be consecrated? What is he talking about here? Well, the priests in the Old Testament, the high priests, they would bring offerings to the altar. And they would consecrate the animal. They would set the animal apart prior to the sacrifice. But Jesus... The great high priest, he did not offer up an animal. He offered up himself as a once and for all sacrifice, not for his sins, but for ours. And he has kept us by giving of himself. This is the word of truth. By his offering, we are made holy. We belong to God. His prayer has been answered. Praise the Lord. So, brothers and sisters, this is truth. So let us cling to it. Let us cling to the truth that we belong to Christ. And let us cling to Him. He is our hope in life and in death. All praise be to God. Father, we praise you for this word. We praise you for truth. We praise you that you sanctify us in truth and ask that you would do that, that by your truth we would be kept until the day of your coming. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.